Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. Yeah, this is, of course, the Fizzle Show. Our chance to help freelancers, creatives, and indie entrepreneurs by sharing the nuts and bolts of building a small business that works. Every Friday, we publish another conversation about the art and science of supporting yourself, doing something that you actually care about. Your hosts, today we have all four of us here, Barrett Brooks, Steph Crowder, Corbett Barr, and me, Chase Reeves. We run Fizzle.co, a website full of training courses to help you run a small business. More importantly, where you'll find the community of entrepreneurs who won't let you quit. You can try your first five weeks free on us. When you go to fizzle.co slash try five, that's an offer just for you podcast listeners, fizzle.co slash try five. In this episode, zero budget marketing, growth hacking, guerrilla marketing, and more buzzy marketing tactics. How do we as indie entrepreneurs navigate this stuff? How can we get more people to our stuff without spending a bunch of money? That's what we get into today. Answering a specific question from Fizzler Tim Wetton. Follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 126. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. Barrett, what are we getting into on the show today? Well, what are we getting into today, Barrett? Because you're in charge and I want you to tell me what to do. <laughs> oh my God. He Whoa. is coming out swinging. Hey, uh, so we should we should tell people what the situation is here. And hey, Steph, how's it going over there? Hey guys, yeah. I'm just holding down the fort for the whole Midwest. How's it going? Well, we have a cardboard cutout here for you standing at the table with us. Yes. Ish. Out of a possible fort, is that what it is? We've entered a whole new chapter, folks. A whole new chapter. A W-A-N-C. A whole new chapter. <laughs> a new fantastic point of view. <laughs> no one to tell us no. Oh, my Lord. Where to go. Now If anything, you do have someone to tell you no. Yeah, you guys so have to say what that. the chapter is. Yeah, so the new chapter is, uh, standing to my left over here is a handsome young gentleman known as Barrett Allen Brooks. Also strapping, you forgot Strapping, that. handsome, mm-hmm. young gentleman. By gentlemen. the way, he is, he is good at strapping stuff down. That's true. Uh, and it, I'm not just talking about the little outfits that he wears. So you know? did you have to strap anything to your car on the way out here? We didn't. It all fit it inside all, the It car. all fit inside. It's impressive. Barrett, tell people what happened to you last week. Yeah, tell well, them what about happened your new to me growth. is that I took my life into my hands and I moved to Portland Take the future into you. And so now we all live here. And now we all, well, all, I mean, uh, all be. Oh, I don't mean already. That was, that was so rude. It, oh, it's, been, mean, it's been I mean, 48 hours. All the people in this room. <laughs> it has been 48 hours. Here. And already, already forgotten. Steph, Steph is our most important team member. Mm-hmm. And she still lives in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Why well, you got to show favoritism like mm-hmm. that? I'm being tested. I, mean, let's I can honest. feel it. I know. Steph, actually, that was planned. It was so planned. I'm sending you a cardboard cut out of my face. That's going to happen. That's right. Barrett, we're glad glad to have you here in Portland. And just for uh, a follow-up on the remote Teams conversation we had a few weeks ago, this is an interesting experiment for us, right? Because now three of us live in one place, one of us lives in Chicago, and um, And none of us lived in the same place before. And yeah, when this we true. just months ago, we yep. were all in different places. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, we have to make sure that we don't forget about poor little Steph out there. Yeah, that's right. I'll be and right. the biggest tip I found was just like, uh, make sure there's no information asymmetry. <clears throat> that's true. And, and you know, the benefit that we have is um, up until about five minutes ago, we were sort of remote. I was still over at my 
place in my home office and we were communicating yeah, via Slack yeah, and remote, Skype. Remote is remote. Remote man. is remote, whether you're in the same city Hell yeah, five miles man. away or 500 miles of away. Of course. That's what I'm trying. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time. So today what we're getting into is uh, we got a little question and uh, this question is about growth tactics. So we've talked a lot about content. We've talked about marketing channels. We've talked about a lot of different angles around marketing. But today we got a question that kind of sets us up well to take a different angle at marketing at kind of a higher strategic level. So here's what the question said. He said, you and a few of your peers have inspired, inspired me to relaunch an online store, drop shipping official rock music merchandise from the UK, targeting the Southeast Asian market. I'm based in Singapore, so we target this region because other UK, US, EU-based competitors either don't ship here or don't really market themselves here. So he's in Singapore selling UK-based rock uh, apparel, basically. And he says, I just completed a test market using only free social media posts to generate about 10 to 20 orders a month. And at that volume, we get about 10% margins on that. So he's making 10% profit on his sales right now. But if they could get a much higher volume of sales, then they could switch to wholesale and make 30 to 40% profit. Mm -hmm. So he's got this huge incentive to sell more every month so that he makes more money from every sale. So his question is, what makes our business different to some of the businesses you feature is that we're selling merchandise. So just, you know, everyone be aware of that as a physical products business. And uh, I want to know one thing. If you were running this business in Asia and only had $1,000 a month to spend on marketing, what would you do to drive traffic and grow the business? He's been considering Facebook or Google AdWords, um, Facebook ads or Google AdWords. He's thought about marketplaces like eBay, Amazon, things like that. And uh, he's just wondering what we would do. So the, the direction we're going to take this is we're going to kind of mold this question from Tim Wetton or Wetton uh, from getupshop.com. And we're going to say, if we had no budget, to market a business like Tim's. So we're going to take out the Asia factor because we're just going to talk about general marketing strategy. Um, how would we go about zero budget marketing? So if we couldn't spend money, how would we go from low volume to high volume to help Tim increase his profit margins? How's that sound? S sounds great. So first, I'd, I I would uh, like to posit that Asia is a really big place. It is I, a I, very I mean, big place. I haven't place. spent too much time there, it's but... It's small, but it looks larger than it is. On the map, it looks kind of big. It looks really big, but really when you get there, it's just tiny. So, so the, the first thing that comes to mind is he he's saying we, mar we market in Asia. Well, where in Asia are you talking about? Right. There are different people that live there, as far as I know. No, that's not. That's incorrect. And I would, I would love to see him find one group of kids or whatever, like concert goers in the Philippines or something in some town where people have a hankering for these t-shirts and just start there instead of trying to like dominate all of Asia or whatever totally. it is, um, find one group of people who really love this thing. And, and that to me, that's like the definition of guerrilla marketing. Go out to concerts with some of the t-shirts that you have, um, with a Ramones t-shirt or something that's like official mm -hmm. and, uh, and see if, if that flies there and get inside the minds of these people who actually want this thing so that you can understand how to go about this zero budget marketing. Cause right now it just seems like this big nebulous thing. Totally. So you're kind of taking it in that audience direction and saying, all right, so no one says that the U S is their market. So why would you say, or no one says North America is their market. So why would you say Asia is your market? Or even why would you say Southeast Asia is your market when there are different types of people with different wants and needs within that market? And so you still have the need to really target a specific audience, even if you're saying we're only going to focus on marketing within, you know, Singapore, or Southeast Asia or whatever it is. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then I, I would be asking myself uh, about the knockoff problem as well, because you got to imagine that most of the things that he's selling probably exist in some form. Maybe they're not official. He said official, right. which I found interesting. And I noticed these are $30 t-shirts, which might be kind of expensive for some areas in Asia. But um, are there other t-shirts that exist that are just like this? And is that the fact that they're official enough of a differentiator that people are actually going to want to buy his things for 30 bucks when maybe they can walk down to the corner and buy something similar for, you know, uh, one sixth the price. Totally. So thinking about kind of differentiation and making sure that he's got some kind of unique angle on this that makes people want to buy from him and not just go down the street to get whatever else. Yeah. Where do you want to take this conversation? Ben? All right. So where here's want, where I want to start. How do you want to go? There's two big kind of buzzwordy type topics here when we're thinking about marketing without spending money. So, you know, one approach that we'll cover on another day is spending money, Google AdWords, Facebook ads, all that kind of strategy, which we're not going to cover today. So in the realm of zero budget marketing, there's growth hacking, which is kind of the most recent iteration or most recent term that's come out. And then there's guerrilla marketing, which is a little bit old school, kind of somewhat defining some of the same tactics. Um, so I want to get into those first. So when you think, any of you think of growth hacking, um, or growth hacker marketing, as uh, Ryan Holiday puts it, what is what comes to mind for you? Uh, so I think of it as as this very um, hustle, kind of hustle oriented, but it's smart, it's insightful, it's it's it it looks. When I think of about being a growth hacker, when I when I try my very hardest, what I'm doing is I'm going, I'm just being very very specific about who who I'm trying to target. And then I get to be creative about which ways I'm going to get in front of them and then, and then also creative about what's the message I'm putting in front of them. You know what I mean? And that's what's similar about the guerrilla marketing is it's the creativity that's so appealing when, you know, you're basically, uh, you're, you're banksying a kind of advertising. You yeah, know? it's like it's almost subversive and you're turning sweat equity into free marketing, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, Your exactly. Creativity is like drawing people to your product. That's what I, I like. That's what I like about the, the best of growth hacking. The worst of it is just like, here, uh, I, uh, when I upload a thing to Product Hunt, I call 15 of my friends and I have them all upvoted immediately and then we cross-promote it over to this place. And it's just the systems of things that'll work for right now. They really will work for right now. Uh, but then they don't, they won't in, in six months when those algorithms get smarter or something. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like hacking the system. But that's, and so you're not hacking someone's heart or soul by putting a message in front of them in any particular way. You're just, you're just hacking the system and that gets it in front of them and that makes them feel like there's buzz. And then when there's buzz, it's, the question is like, well, maybe I should know about this. And so you do get that, that quick, unsustainable kind of growth from that sort of thing. And that, that's kind of interesting to me uh, because, and it should be to you because, because sometimes that's all it takes for a business to, that's the difference between surviving and not. And other yeah. times, though, I just think, you know, I, I, I expect more from myself. Totally. So I hear like two big points that I'll pull out of that. So one is this creative constraint of not having a budget and knowing that that constraint's there. You don't get to change that. Yeah. And so you have to use creativity and alternative methods of getting in front of your audience to grow your business. So. Yeah. I like that. We know that creative creativity comes from constraint. It's kind of drawing boundaries and then saying, okay, within yeah. those. And I'm not talking about creativity in terms of like, wow, what a beautiful image. It's right. real. It's creative in terms of like, oh, I never even thought about using yeah. that channel to yeah. reach someone before. Thinking of ways that other people haven't before. Exactly. And, th and that's what it takes because all of these, like you were saying with Product Hunter or whatever, that can work for a while, but then they get kind of worn out. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole point here 
is to find something that's kind of fresh that yeah. works for you for your unique situation. So that's the other big point here, right? Is like there's this built-in expiration date on a lot of these things where, you know, one of the big examples we found of guerrilla marketing was the Blair Witch Project. And it was this like duped, is this real, is this fake kind of thing when it came out. And it generated a ton of conversation. For because, people who weren't around back then, like this was before the movie came out and they just leaked little bits of footage on uh, places in the internet and in forums and things like that. So literally people thought like in these forums found footage, that it guys, was a real thing. Okay, hold on. If you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to talk about Blair Witch Project right now, um, I'm going to step outside for a couple of minutes. <laughs> just knock on the door when you're done. <laughs> I still, loved that. I loved how terrifying that movie was. Scariest movie theater experience I've ever had. We went camping like a night later and it was oh. pitch black out. The moon, oh, the moon wasn't out. My dog got diarrhea and I had to get up nine <laughs> times in the middle of the night out of a tent with no one around. I was not around. expecting it to head towards dog diarrhea. And it was black. And right before I went to bed, we found this bundle of sticks. <laughs> this bun this suspicious bundle of sticks. You know, we call that in the UK. I'm not actually allowed to say on the air here. Oh, you're, that's a good point. Well, then don't say it. Um, so anyways, point being that uh, there's these built-in expiration dates on a lot of these tactics because once someone does it, we're kind of aware of it as humans. We are like people who pay attention become aware of that tactic and they yeah. look out for the it awareness then, so. of uh, as soon as someone knows that about that, then it doesn't work on them. Right. It doesn't work like, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like, as soon as David Blaine puts himself inside of an aquarium in times square for a week, yeah. you can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. Totally. It's <laughs> yeah. no it's longer like, fun. And not um, only, even if you did that, that'd be amazing, but nobody would be amazed. And yeah. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, like David you, did it. sometimes you, sometimes, sometimes you even see this in paid outlets too, where, early on with a new paid platform like Facebook ads, it's much easier to spend a lower amount of money for a larger reach than it is today when you've got to pay more to compete on keywords and things like that. So there's this built-in expiration date. So, so I think we're kind of talking about two different, or two, two things. You, you mentioned guerrilla marketing or something. Totally. And Chase kind of brought up this idea of hustle marketing. Yep. But then we're also just talking about zero-based or zero-budget marketing. Yep. Yep. And to me, those can be like two completely different things. They are. Guerrilla marketing, a lot of times, is actually engineered by these big ad firms, right? Right. Um, and yeah, where they so have the smartest brains of our generation trying to get someone to buy more freaking Coca-Cola. Or, or Old Spice or whatever. Yeah. Right. But so in that case, there actually is a really big budget behind totally. that guerrilla marketing right. campaign. But then there's just the sweat equity, zero budget stuff that actually most businesses that we talk about are using. Yep. Mm -hmm. we, we never had a marketing budget. Totally. To this day. Still don't. Most of our friends don't have marketing budgets. And you just get out there and hustle and tell people why your product matters. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I started with like, who are you talking to and how is this product unique? Because you have to have something to stand on yeah. in order to get people to notice. It's like a, it's a cool Star Wars t-shirt, but why should I care and why should I buy it from get up shop as opposed to somewhere else right mm -hmm. yep agreed so stuff yeah i would say two, perfect timing <laughs> well i have a couple of things one your for, original question barrett was what's your reaction to the term growth hacker or what do you think of i have these like two different sides of me when i was doing research for this first i, I was looking at the term and i was like oh gosh like the first thing that comes to mind is kind of like that internet markety like you automatically kind of don't trust it when you hear something like growth hacker but there was one quote that really resonated for me. And it actually reminded me of a little anecdote that I'll share from my experience. And this quote was, once you pull your first users in, you must 
must ask, how do we get more? The most scalable approach is to get those initial users to do it for you. And there's a lot of examples of this. I'm sure you guys saw in, in some of the articles that Barrett sent for us to look at. But this reminded me a lot of watching Groupon grow. So a lot of our listeners know that my experience was with building Groupon. And the biggest thing, we tried so many different things. And Groupon did have a marketing budget. But the biggest thing that worked for us was getting people to be obsessed with our product. And nothing ever worked better than great deals at great locations. Like even the deepest discount for like kind of not a great restaurant or a really sketchy spa never did as well as like the best place in town. And I think that right. has to do with like that just that viral factor of a truly awesome product that gets people talking about it and spreading the word. So at Groupon, one thing we did was $10 in Groupon bucks every time you refer a friend who actually makes a purchase. And that was like just such a huge, crazy success for us. And as you can see, we didn't have to spend money out of our own pocket then. It was, you know, $10 in our own group on dollars that then kind of feeds the machine because people are making more purchases. So I think one of the big things is get people to really love this product and spread that word for you. And then it really starts to take off. Yep. So I think one of the early qualifiers for being able to take this kind of approach to marketing is believing that you can not spend money, but still get growth for your company. Mm -hmm. So you have to believe that this is possible. And there's so many case studies and examples here that prove that it does work, you know, whether it's Groupon or Airbnb or whatever, many different companies we know well use zero budget marketing tactics to get new customers. So yeah. let's just start there. Totally. And I, I don't think that having a budget necessarily solves many problems for you. If your product isn't great, having a budget is, is just going to go to waste. You're going to spend a bunch of money and, and people aren't going to buy your thing. Totally. And that was one of the big points that was brought up, you know, as we looked, kind of scoured the internet for the best, uh, best stuff on these topics was that if you have a bad product, no amount of marketing is going to help you grow that, you know, the people who are using that product or buying your product. So in the case of GitHub Shop, for example, um, you know, if you don't have a great t-shirt, if it's not comfortable, if it doesn't have the brands or bands or superheroes or whatever on the front that people appeals to your audience, then you're not going to sell any regardless. So it has to appeal to people on that level first. And that's this idea of product market fit or whatever. So choosing the right mar market that's going to like your product and making a good enough product so that that market likes it. You know, you have to start from there to use any marketing tactics. Then the other thing that we found was uh, one of these articles made a really good point about two different types of marketing that need to be done in a business. One is kind of in the early stages where you're truly just trying to hustle through the early, early stages of figuring out whether you're, you've chosen the right market, whether they like your product, kind of getting enough data to understand whether the product works for the people you're trying to sell it to. And so that's one thing. But then we talk about, okay, we kind of feel like we've got good product market fit. Now, where do we go from here? And that's where we're taking this question from is, you've got some initial validation that people will buy your stuff. Now, how do you grow that influence? So in the terms of our roadmap, it's kind of like that late money to growth stage. Yeah, well, but except he's only sold 10, 10 him, shirts, right? right? So, so my question is, how do we know that people actually like this? Was it just 10 friends of his who bought right. the shirts? And looking at this site, I can't tell what the differentiator is. I'm gathering that he says that he's got a, he's generating about 10 to 20 orders a month a month okay. from okay. social media. So he's side. got some. So yeah. so first I would survey my customers and find out why they bought and what, you know, struck them, why they why they decided to buy this thing. But looking at his site, there's nothing that hits me as like the standout unique selling proposition here. I see Game of Thrones shirts, I see superhero shirts, I see band t-shirts. I don't see anything that says, you know, um get shirts in Asia, get official shirts in Asia that you can't get from anywhere else 
or whatever it is that he's saying is his unique selling proposition. To me, this just looks like any other t-shirt shop. And if that's the case, how are you going to spread the word about this thing? If I try to do guerrilla marketing about this, what is my message going to be? Yeah. What am I going to tell somebody that why should they go to this shop versus any other t-shirt shop that's out there? And maybe it is that no one else will ship to Asia. If that's the case, then that's all I would be saying. I would say, get the shirts that no one else will ship to Asia. But I don't know that that's his actual proposition. And I, I don't know that he can say that. And if that's true, um, then he needs to come up with something else. Because like you were saying earlier, that the best thing you can do for your marketing is to have a great product yep. to begin with. And I mean, maybe even before that, the best thing you could do is to, is to have a have really great intuition about an audience. Right. Because even if these shirts are crap, I could I could have intuition about this audience in a way that's like, I wish I could make the shirts better, but I can't. But I can sell the crap out of them because I know these kids listening to these right. bands and where they are and, and where I they see, hang out. I see two problems here. One is it he's talking about Asia in general, which is this massive place. The second is there's everything from The Simpsons to uh, Black Veil to right. Metallica to Game of Thrones on here. So I get the sense that there is no audience here. Mm -hmm. It's every kind of T-shirt for everyone that lives in all of Asia. Right. And I would love to see punk rock shirts for kids that live in Cebu, Philippines. Yeah. Or something right. like that. You know what <laughs> I mean? So as we're thinking about marketing strategy for this or growing his sales, it's really hard to market to everyone as a small business. And so maybe part of this is picking one group like one type of audience that one of his or a group of his products appeals to. And this is the case no matter what you're trying to do, uh, meaning those those three kind of categories that Corbett was talking about in this conversation where we're talking about guerrilla marketing, which is very which is different than growth hacking, but you can do them both as, you know, zero budget marketing. So whether you're doing things, you know, interactively on the web, he, he was talking about doing some Facebook ads, he was talking about other things where you're doing stuff like that, or whether you're doing, you know, on the street guerrilla marketing stuff, or if you're doing uh, like just like all, any, so anything else, literally anything else. It's only going to be strengthened when you when you have a very clear target of who who you're aiming at, and then number two, the positioning is the marketing term for it. But like, what your essence sort of is, what mm -hmm. your what is your message, and how is it different than every other BS shirt provider out there? Not just that you're targeting punk rock kids, because everybody can do that. But I'm punk targeting punk kids uh, with these bands that. Or some, some, I don't know, position it. Give me something special. Right. You know, give me something special. And, and, and the thing is, it doesn't matter if you nail it. You don't have to nail it. The yeah. whole point is that you're putting a very um, thoughtful, pointed hypothesis in the ground yeah. saying, I believe that these people who live here want these t-shirts because X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to see if that's true or not. Yeah. Yep. Right now, there's, there's very little way to test this to say, I think people in Asia want t-shirts. Yeah, that's basically what he's saying. Yeah, totally. And yeah, and so how? Yeah, so where are we going to go? Bear? And to be fair here, you know, he he wrote a question in, and I think was probably trying to keep it concise. So to give him the benefit of the doubt, let's assume that he's got specific markets for each of these categories of shirts that he's he's selling. Okay, so like one category is music and band merchandise, and I think that you could start to focus in on a market there within Asia by selling this one group of products. Okay, so let's assume he's. Starting there, that's his intention. He knows he needs different markets for these different types of shirts. Like superhero fans are not always going to be ACDC fans or whatever. Um, I want to round this beginning of the conversation out with like 
getting clear on growth hacker marketing or growth hacking and uh, guerrilla marketing real quick. So I don't know if we fully define that. So growth hacking traditionally was uh, kind of an engineer's approach to marketing. It was very analytical. It was very data-driven. And there were, like you said, Corbett, hypotheses that were tested with experiments and then iterated and iterated and iterated until they found the best method for gaining new customers at a given time. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what growth hacking is, you know, traditionally, you don't have to be a coder or an engineer to do that kind of thing. You can still take that data-driven experimental approach. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's a big that's a big shift. That's a big good shift in, in, in a necessary one for a lot of us, you know, small-time startups where you look very analytically at your marketing and your, and now it's not the same thing as saying like, okay, well, we're going to buy an advertisement on TV. Was it worth it? Totally. And, they, and then everybody runs around to, to make the numbers show that it was worth it. This is like, we don't have any money, so what are the channels we can get in front of people uh, and and actually with our message with yep. you know and then we have these we've defined these 50 tests to see which are the most uh you know useful 10 of them yep. so it's that kind of mindset where i have 10 i have 50 you know hypotheses of like okay well we can try it on youtube by doing x y and z we could try it on on product hunt by doing the x y and z right you know the, all of those kinds the of things. point of that of of that marketing no matter which channels you're going after should be to learn from your customers. Yep. You want to get enough customer data so that you know if your product is good enough to scale up. That's right. And um, he probably has enough people to be getting some of that data right now. Yep. So so that's good. That's a good Totally. Start. Yep, agreed. And then, so on the guerrilla marketing end of things, I kind of look at this as almost a subset or a tactic that could be used within a growth hacking type framework. Yep. So for me, guerrilla marketing is you're on the street in New York handing out 10% off coupons with a link that says getupshop.com slash bands, and you're in like the punk rock part of New York. I don't know if that exists or not, but whatever. <laughs> well, or, it's funny you should mention that, Barrett, because it does exist. It's one so of like, my favorite parts of town. So in Atlanta, there's a little area called Little Five Points where there's this type of crowd who might like <laughs> these types of t-shirts, yeah. and you could go there and hand out some physical little flyers or brochures or whatever trying right. to get people here. Yep. Same probably applies to Singapore where he is. So it's almost like these stunty type tactics that you would use spray painting a wall i'm not suggesting you break the law i'm just saying like graffiti on a wall that highlights your brand or a billboard or whatever so that to me is guerrilla marketing it's stunts and if you go back and listening to listen to our marketing channels episodes stunts was one of those kind of pr stunts was one of those mm. uh, tactics that we talked about or channels that we mm. talked about yeah okay so that's guerrilla marketing and growth hacking now what i want to talk about is having a system a systematic approach to setting growth goals and then trying to reach them over time. So we're taking some of these assumptions and saying, you know, you're at a point where you've proved that customers want to buy your thing. And now we're looking at growing your sales as opposed to proving that you can get sales. So that's the approach we're taking here. Um, so the first thing you have to start with is setting a growth goal. And, uh, you know, there was a long time in Fizzle's history where I wasn't around where Steph wasn't around. So when y'all were setting early or when you were thinking about growing customer bases early, what were some of the early goals you set for Fizzle's growth? Um, some of the early goals, I think it, initially we focused entirely on, on customer feedback. I mean, we, we needed to get some revenue in the door, but primarily we opened the doors um, early before the product was finished so that we could get feedback to shape it um, before it was fully baked. Cause you know, you spend a lot of time and effort building out a product and the worst thing in the world is to get done with that 
And then finally to find out that your marketing efforts aren't working because people aren't interested in the product. So all of our goals up front were aimed at help having our customers help us shape the product and then continually to check in with them over time. Um, As far as seeding those initial customers to get that feedback from, we had um, we had been blogging for a number of years and um, we basically used that blog and any connections that we had to get the word out. Now, when we got the word out about Fizzle, we had a unique selling proposition, which was we had this library of content and this community all in one package, along with coaching from experts for $35 a month. And at that time, that didn't exist right. or there weren't many competitors in our space. Right. So the question is like, not only where am I going to market, but what am I going to market yep. and what's the message going to be? Right. And hmm. so that was, those were our goals basically to, to figure out what that message was and then to see if that was a unique enough selling right. proposition to get people's attention. And then the method you used to do that was you kind of had an alpha launch and a beta launch, right? Where the alpha was open to like a hundred customers or something like that. And the beta was open to 250 customers or whatever. It doesn't matter what the numbers were. Yep. But the idea is that you had these uh, primary goals that you knew you would reach by getting 100 people in the door to start with, for example. So in the terms of a growth milestone, usually you want it to be a number and it can lead to things like customer feedback, understanding whether you have product market fit, some of this other stuff. And the earliest goal, it sounds like, was kind of 100 customers in the door so that we get enough feedback to know whether we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, and then to start playing around with things like um, trial periods and uh, trial pricing and overall pricing and uh, whether or not it should be open on a regular basis or if we should use a launch model. All of these things we were playing with, we didn't assume that we had it right, right right out of the gate. Mm. We wanted to play around with those things and we needed some seed customers to tell us if we were doing it right or not. Yeah, totally. So when you're setting your growth milestone, this is kind of what everything else falls out of in your growth strategy. You have to have a goal you're shooting for. And the idea behind setting a milestone is growth happens in cycles. And usually the thing that will help you get from 20 t-shirt sales a month to 50 t-shirt sales a month is very different from the thing that will help you get from 250 to 500 sales a month. And so by setting these shorter term milestones to hit along the way, it helps you design the right experiments to get there first before you like shoot for the moon or whatever. Sure. Well, Especially when there's no budget. I would also add to that. I think that's totally true. It's also just great for your personal psyche, you know, because yeah. there's a big difference between selling. It's easy to say, oh gosh, I'm only selling 10 t-shirts a month. I need to be selling 2000 to get to my freedom number or whatever the reasoning is behind that. But setting those smaller goals can be the thing that helps you celebrate your successes even more instead of just wanting to give up and feel like you don't even have a viable business. So I think it also helps from a just me- like a mental space as well. Totally. And, and it gives you the sense of inevitable momentum when you're hitting milestones on a consistent basis. Right. So the good thing here, or the, the easiest thing to tell you to do here is to take the third grade approach and set a SMART goal. Okay. And if you've never heard of SMART goals, it's kind of like this acronym. And I wish I had a sound effect for like kids in a classroom cheering. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, so the first thing is, is it specific? So that's the S. So Uh, Making a full-time income is not very specific while making $60,000 this year is pretty specific. You know, you can get to that and you understand it well. The second uh, letter is M, measurable. So make my customers happier is different from improve my net promoter score. So make my customers happier is kind of ambiguous, whereas net promoter score is measurable. You can tell that it's happening. Uh, Third thing is A, attainable. So you want to know that you're setting a milestone that 
with the current resources. So in this case, zero budget, a staff of one or two or however many co-founders there are can reach that milestone given those constraints. So it has to be attainable. The R is relevant. And for me, this is mostly a personal question. So, you know, do you want your, uh, are you headed for scale? You know, that end stage that we talk about sometimes where you want to be funded and have a, you know, a massive startup success on your hands, or do you want something that's more sustainable? So kind of slowly growing at a healthy rate. So relevant is mostly about your personal goals for your business for me in this case. And then the last one is T time bound. So setting a time, uh, a timeliness measure to this. So setting a deadline and saying, we want to get to 50 sales a month in the next 90 days or whatever. So that's kind of how you want to think about your milestone, I think. And then coming out of your milestone, I think the biggest question you have to ask first is, given my current products, do I think that we can get to that milestone? So can the products that I already have generate enough revenue or enough sales or whatever that we can reach this milestone? So like in this case, I think the answer is unquestionably yes. You have plenty of products and that's not at all a limitation. Um, So then we go to, if that's the case, you got enough products, What's driving your current growth? So as we look at this, he tells us, you know, it's social media basically. And he's kind of saying, I don't know if just that strategy is going to get me where I'm trying to go. So then we say, all right, what are the other possible tactics that we can use at this point? What are the channels that we can go through to reach new customers? So when we look at his business and let's just say we're more familiar with the U S market. So let's say we were doing it in Portland. Um, what are the tactics or channels that we would consider as possibilities for growing his sales with no budget. So um, there's this great article we should um, link to in the show notes here about an Instagram handle, which is at Portland. Um, This guy, I don't know how exactly he convinced someone to get the at Portland handle and started using that to share things about Portland. And on the back of that, he launched a company called Portland gear Mm. And uh, he has like 130,000 followers Where, on Twitter. What article is, is, is that in Oregon Live? or This where is, is it? yeah, Oregon Live. The making and taking of the at Portland Instagram handle. Got it. Um, this was I'll from earlier, show notes. earlier this year. So um, he launched uh, Portland Gear. And because he had spent so much time on Instagram, built up, you know, 60 some thousand followers, I believe, by this point. When he launched, he did $5,000 in sales on the first day. And um, as of April, when this story came out, he had, he had sold 1,300 um, uh, whatever units. So that's that all, to me, that's an example. All young white people. That's an example of, um, I think it's easy to feel like, well, social media posts, is this going to work or not? And I think it's easy to just kind of cre- scrape the surface and maybe get bored with the channel and then move on because you're looking so- for something that is going to work really fast. And I think inherent in this question of, um, how do I, how do I uh, accomplish zero budget marketing is this idea that something is just going to take off really fast Totally. when in reality, it's just a long slog. It's like yep. you have to have the dedication and stamina and focus to make a channel work. And I think a lot of people move on long before they've given a particular channel enough time or attention to actually pull it off. And so, um, you know, an Instagram channel building it up to a hundred something thousand followers isn't going to happen overnight. And, um, I think it'd be easy to, to try Instagram, post a bunch of stuff, nobody cares, and then move on when you have a hundred or 200 followers and never really see the true potential of it. Totally. Um, but that to me, Instagram seems like a great opportunity for that sort of thing. I mean, especially if he narrows down his focus and it's just like concerts that are happening in Singapore and then he goes around to concerts and takes 
pictures of kids and cool tees, you know? Yeah. And then he says, hey, by the way, I sell shirts just like this. Yep. That seems like a great potential tactic to me. Well, Absolutely. and a lot of work too. And a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but what what is this if not work? You don't yeah. have money to spend, so. Yeah. Right. On the Instagram front too, I know one thing that's working for a lot of brands is Instagram takeovers. So, for example, if you're let's say you are your market is Portland and that at Portland account exists, perhaps that huge following is interested in having somebody do an Instagram takeover for a weekend, which is basically, you know, exactly what it sounds. The uh, Tim who we're talking about here with a t-shirt company would have the opportunity to run that account for the weekend and perhaps like make it kind of organic. He could be sort of tooling around Portland, but also throwing in some photos of his t-shirts. That's an awesome way to grow your Instagram following organically. And I know a lot of bloggers, particularly fashion bloggers are doing this type of thing with bigger brands and it's kind of works for both parties. It's the same thing that YouTubers do when they do collabs Mm -hmm. and go on each other's channels. And so in some ways you could see that as a category of things that you could, so what would it look like to do? It would look the same way to do it on Twitter, look the same way to do it on Periscope or uh, Vine or something like that, where you almost have a a guest editor for a week or something. You know, what makes me think of is, is um, again, this is where the the growth, this is where like growth hacking is just, it's a word for, for um, analytical minds basically like and so this isn't necessarily a growth hacking thing so much as it is an analytical mind kind of thing uh, of looking at any business because it's not just about growth but you can you can look at like okay so there's a lot of different ways to slice the audience there's a lot of different ways to to like kind of categorize your audience and figure out which one you're going for it could be by location okay people in singapore or people in this town in the philippines or people in this region right or it can be by kind of music genre right people who are into punk people who are into metal people who are into uh, or it could be in other things like comic books and things that are going from the shirts that are here another way to do it is to go through the lens of one specific band which, like, for example, you, there's a band on here that's being promoted a lot that I don't even know anything about. Black Veil Brides. Never even heard of them. I mean, I recognize a lot of this. Pretty, pretty cool, cool name, though. I'm a pretty cool guy. And I don't, and I don't know about the really cool Black Veil Brides or whatever. <laughs> um, but, like, for, like, that's a great example of, like, I'd immediately go, like, okay, so how many people in Singapore listen to that? Um, or, or what is the biggest undergroundish band in Singapore or Philippines or this, that, and the other. And that's where the growth hacker can go, let's find some interesting ways to figure out, to get the data on that online. Do you know what I mean? So totally. it's like, where are their fan, where's their fan forum? All right, can we hack some of these? Can we figure out some of the things of like where people are from on this forum yep. and make smart business decisions? And you notice in this conversation, we keep going back and forth between audience and yep. like tactics. Totally. Yep. And that's exactly what this process is because without any concept of who your audience is, you, you can't just pull tactics out of your rear end. Yep. Like for example, Instagram might work for Portlanders, mm-hmm. but if you don't know, who your specific audience is, how are you going to know if Instagram's going to work for yep, them and, totally. and what you would even post on your Instagram yeah. feed? So here's what I love about kind of where we've gone here is it kind of builds right into my next point, which is we're a little bit- It's like dis- you planned it. I know. We're kind of thinking about, we're, we're brainstorming experiments we could run right now. We're kind of designing little tests that we mm-hmm. could do, which is this growth hacker approach to marketing. And so Chase, when you say, hey, why don't we, why don't we pick uh, Black Veil Brides and then, Corbett, when you're talking about Instagram, so an experiment that we could do here is, could we sell more Black Veil Bride t-shirts by using Instagram and try and raise you know, the number of Black Veil Bride t-shirt sales to 10 a month? Because if you can do that for one band 
on one platform, then it's likely rec- replicable by finding you know the right audience for the right band or right T-shirt or right. whatever, right? And so, so, so in order to pull off an experiment, you're saying narrow down the whole scope. Totally. Yeah. Narrow down the audience, narrow yep. down the product, narrow down the channel, and then try that and see if it works. Totally. So you know, if we started with this milestone of let's go from 10 to 20 t-shirt sales a month to 50 t-shirt sales a month in the next 90 days. So that fits all our criteria for yep. a growth milestone. And we say, we know our current products have plenty of room for growth so we can stick with our current products. We don't need to build a new one. It's kind of the first point in the decision tree, right? Is do we have the right products? And we yep. think, yes. We asked ourselves, what's driving current growth? Well, we said social media. And so then the next question that comes out of that is, could you do more social media? Could you do social media in a different way? Keep using the same channels in a different way to drive more growth. And in this case, we kind of challenged the assumption that the answer was no. We said maybe the answer is yes, and maybe social just needs to be looked at in a different way. Mm-hmm. There's also a possible answer that's no, and then you'd go explore different channels. Well, yeah, it, in some ways, it begs the question of how will you know it's a no? Do you know what I mean? Which is a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's kind you, of a it requires due diligence right. regardless. Yep. Because there could be a lot of money left on the table with a channel that's already working and getting something that's already working to work better yep. is going to be a lot different than trying right. to start something all the way up from scratch. Totally. And so part of that early when you're challenging whether your current channels will continue to work for you in new ways is maybe you sit down with the mastermind group or a mentor or a friend and have a brainstorming session saying, okay, if we had to have no budget and we had to use social to grow our sales... How might we do that? What are some experiments we could design to test that assumption? Mm-hmm. Kind of like what we just did. And if you can come up with experiments, then it's possible that that channel can still work for you. And if not, then maybe you should go check out some other channels, which would be whatever other episodes we did on those. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm just going to like hammer this home. Uh, I don't think he's ready for marketing at all. That's good. I, I just looked at his Instagram feed here and we've got like uh, some cartoons about something called Adventure Time. Then we've got a picture of something that says just Wait, listening to some rock. something called Adventure Time. I don't know what the hell that is. It's important, Corbett. Okay. Um, we've got like, uh, <laughs> we've got some weird tattoos about Bon Jovi. Then we've got Batman t-shirts, $29.99, no free delivery. weird tattoos about Bon Jovi. There's only amazing tattoos about Bon Jovi. My point is, when you go from Bon Jovi to Batman, you've got a clear problem. By the way, who your a great is. title for a book. <laughs> From Bon Jovi to Batman? Yeah, just <laughs> stick with it. Um, so the the trouble here is like if you're trying to build up an Instagram feed, you're, and, and I can see what tactics he, he's using here. He's following 7,500 people and he has 1,900 followers. So he's just like following indiscriminately mm-hmm. yeah. people and trying to build up as many followers as he can. He's just getting probably a bunch of bot accounts and, and people who don't care or people who saw one thing that they liked and then he's going to post something else that's unrelated and yeah. they're going to unsubscribe from his feed. It's just not focused enough. And this is the reason you have to niche down because it's going to be really hard to grow a big following um, in the beginning when you're all over the map from cartoons to rock bands and everything mm-hmm. in between. From Bon Jovi to Batman. From Bon Jovi to Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys, I don't know uh, if this is intentional, but I stumbled on a, poor, a little four-step four, uh, four plan here. Oh, did you now? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how, how much you more you have in your notes there, Barrett. But uh, number one, so it's, it's set, get, vet, and sweat. Okay? <laughs> set a growth mi- or goal uh, milestone. Right? Number two, get clear on who you're targeting, right? What intrigues them? Where can you find them, et cetera? Number three, vet 
the marketing tactics that you're going to try with tests and things like that. Number four, sweat. Get you better work it, girl, as RuPaul would say. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't I don't want to take much credit for this. It's just one of those brilliant ideas you gotta run with it's set, get, vet, and sweat. It's very simple. I'm ready for my wine now. <laughs> All right, so we've kind of gotten to that vet stage, right? We've said, all right, let's brainstorm some experiments, and then you have to go try them out. And if you're a one-person team, you might have to do them one at a time. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you'll do them pretty rapidly, as fast as you can, to get some good data on But this it. is a big deal, the idea of coming up with a list of 50 things to try. And, and so you're designing, and I think 50, it really is unruly. It's one thing, it's cool if you're if you're MailChimp or Intercom or something like that, but I, I think 50 is just so much for one person to handle, especially when they're trying to run a business too. But if this is the only thing that you're doing right now, if you've got a, if like all of the infrastructure is set up and you're just drop shipping and whatever we sell automatically from something and I'm making 10% on top, uh, then it's like, okay, I guess your only job is to do these kinds of marketing things. So then it, it is, you can create a list that long and just start trying stuff. Do you know what I mean? So to me, the idea of making a list of these tests and then designing the test, like saying, okay, I think I can use Instagram. So what do I need to do to, to, to actually make Instagram work? Well, I need the right kind of people following me. I need uh, basically, you know, teens and college-aged people in Singapore to follow me. So what am I going to do to find them, identify those accounts, start following them, start interacting with them, start retweeting them or whatever the equivalent is in Instagram. Uh, Doing those kinds of things. uh, I don't have that app. I don't know. I see people do it though. It's like, there's a great capture from so-and-so. I'm like, how did you get their picture on your thing? So uh, we're running experiments. We all agree that that's a good approach when you're trying to reach new milestones the question is, once you're running experiments and you're embracing this approach and you've done all of these other steps, how do you know which one to continue with to, to actually fuel your growth? So mm-hmm. the experiments, the goal is to figure out what might work. Yep. Then how do you go from figuring out what might work to actually employing it to reach your growth milestone? What are some of the indicators we should be looking for or that like he should be looking for in this t-shirt business? I mean, I would just be looking at like effort versus reward of the channel. How hard was it? How much did I enjoy it? Um, how likely do I think it is that I can continue putting out the content or whatever it takes to make this channel work? And what sort of return am I getting on that investment? And just compare that to other things. If you're spending you know, week after week after week posting things and you're not getting any results, then move on. If you're getting some results, then maybe keep that uh, channel going while you try another one so that you have something to compare your results to. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that's true. And so I think the the idea is, number one, get enough data that you know whether it's working. So by data, what do we mean? We mean, you know, are you getting generating traffic to your website? Can you come up with a conversion rate from traffic to email subscriber or from traffic to customer? So you have to have some of these uh, data points to know whether things are working. And then it's really not you know, just does it work, but does it work better than some of the other experiments I ran? Yep. And choosing the best ROI experiment to go forward with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just kind of becomes a cycle here. You know, you focus on the experiments that work. Once you reach your growth milestone, you go right back to the top and say, all right, what's my next milestone? Who am I targeting? Do I have the right products to help us grow? And it's kind of this circular process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that that, 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 if that doesn't solve your problem, I don't know what will. But again, inherent to this is 
if if you're not selling enough, then you have to wonder, is it a product problem or a marketing problem yep. or both? Right. And so it's entirely possible that you're going to spend all this time trying out these different channels and they're not going to work. And it's not because the channel's wrong. It's because there's a product problem. Yep, totally. So you got to start there. And that's where you have to get customer feedback in order to know if if it's a product problem or a marketing problem. Yeah. And Indeed. relatedly, I think also paying attention to word of mouth. You know, are you getting word of mouth marketing from, you know, people who've already purchased or are you not really seeing that your product's being referred to people? Because to me, that indicates, you know, people love this product. And again, kind of back to my point at the beginning about getting people to just be obsessed with what you do. Is that sort of causing a ripple effect or is it stopping when you get that first buyer? I think that's important right. too. And, and Groupon is such a great example. When right. Groupon came out, I don't know if everybody remembers, but it was this this concept of a deal would tip eventually if enough people bought it. And it was such a buzzworthy thing. Yeah. You wanted to tell your friends about it. Have you heard about this site? Like, exactly. They only, the deal only works if a thousand people buy it, you know? Yeah. Yep. And, and so you guys probably benefited from a ton of word of mouth in the beginning. Absolutely. And, and so that, that should be all of our goals, right? We should have something about our product that is remarkable or noteworthy yeah. that where a customer is going to tell someone else about it. And again, it could be that for Get Up Shop, it could be that this is the only place you can get free delivery in Asia. I yep. don't know if that's true or not. Yep. But if that is true, then just hammer that point home over and over and yep. over again. And that that's a big deal. That's that's that part of that uh I don't know, the the that positioning thing where it's like you kind of have to pick one of these stories to go with. And you because the consumer has like enough space in, in their brain for one story. So what's it going to be? Yep. That's why it can be so helpful when you really focus on your your specific band or your specific location. Then you hit them with that one message. And it's like, if you can get this compounded effect where like more than one person in that town is talking about that thing. And now more people are knowing about it. Totally. Anything else? No, I don't think we need to beat this one to death. I think we kind of gave a good framework. We looked at the specific business and uh, hopefully this gives a good process for uh, approaching growth in your business. If you've kind of hit a plateau and you're looking for what happens next, I think this is something that you can follow on an ongoing basis. And uh, you want to see it on paper, which is probably helpful. Mm -hmm. Go to, uh, what episode is this? This is episode number 126 fizzleshow.co slash one, two, six. So there you go. Uh, one, two, six. One, two, two, two. What do you keep boosting? One, one, six. Woo. You got to be careful with getting yeah. Chase riled up. <laughs> Easy, Corbett. Every once in a while, I let the cat out of the bag. One, two, six. Woo. Stephanie, uh, closing thoughts over there? No, I think I feel like we've covered this one. I think it's been a hopefully it's helpful, especially for, you know, those people who are starting to make a little bit of traction, but are trying to figure out where to pivot from here. I think we've covered some really good tips. Totally. Chase. You know, I feel for Tim because it's just a ton of work. And this is why starting a business is so tough. And why starting a business you like is so tough, right? It's like you can find a way to earn money doing a lot of different stuff. Like you can, you can find a way to earn money out there doing, uh, he, Tim can work really hard and make this work. Is it going to, is it going to make him feel really pumped to get out of bed every morning, every morning? I don't know. But, uh, but in between here and there, it, it's going to require a ton of work. 
Do you know what I mean? And so I feel for him because to me, I'm lazy. I'm lazy. I don't want to do this kind of work. And it'd be hard because I don't even believe that the Bridal Veil, uh, Black Bridal Veil people are that great of a band, even though I've never heard them. It's like, I don't know how many other hey, shirts I want to buy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it, it can be so, so tough to do the rule, to do the, the rigmarole of, of, of building a business and this marketing stuff when you're trying to get your thing off the ground is the rigmarole man yeah and and if there is some portion of this uh of this business if there's some segment like some group of people or some you know uh set of t-shirts or something that he really feels yeah that he loves then just fucking dive deep <laughs> into that just go for Whoa. it like <laughs> yeah like, Woo. stop trying to be everything to all people and just get really yeah deep. like oh. stop trying to be everything to all people and just yeah. it kind of looks like that might be metal you know there's a lot of yeah, there's, there's a lot of metal stuff on here cool opeth shirt there's there's a bunch of great stuff on there but yeah that's and that's what's so fun about metal fans man is we want to wear we want to wear those shirts i don't know if i want to wear a cartman shirt or a batman shirt but I want to wear some metal shirts. Well, I think that's great advice too, Corbett, because even in the note that Tim sent to us, he describes his business as revolving around rock bands, you know, and then mm-hmm. you go to the site and it, it reflects so much more than that. So I kind of get the feeling that that is the part that he's really passionate about. And if so, he should definitely consider honing in on it. Yep. Agreed. I have been Chase Warbin Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Barrett Allen Brooks. I've been Steph Crowder. And we'll see you there. Well, we'll see you on, see another, on time. another time. You got that one on yourself. <laughs> one, two, six. Question mark. What is it? Boogie, woo! So there you have it. Thanks, Tim, for your question. We love hearing from you guys. You can ask your question, and we'll get the answer on the air. Just head to fizzleshow.co slash ask, or shoot us an email at heyguys at fizzle.co. Show notes for this episode are at fizzleshow.co slash 126. That's where you're going to find the show notes and the conversation about this episode, including links to two podcast episodes we did showing you how to nail your marketing plan with the 19 marketing channels we recommend the most. Those are great episodes. You're going to find them at fizzleshow.co slash 126. Here's an iTunes rating from Smeek13 in the U.S. of A., Smeek13 says, yes, I'm going to call you by your iTunes handle because that's all I have here, and you chose Smeek13. You people in your iTunes handles, I just, I love it. I think it's so creative and interesting and freaking weird. Okay, this podcast, Smeek13 says, this podcast was an instant favorite as soon as I heard it. These folks are laugh out loud so that everyone at work stares at you awkwardly funny. Cough, Chase Reeves. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, The entire episode is full of awesome and useful content, but what sets them apart is the emphasis on doing work that matters. It's a wonderful reminder every Fizzle Friday. Keep it up. No, you keep it up, Smeek13. That's awesome. Thanks so much for your iTunes review, honestly. I might take the make a little make a little fun of, uh, of your iTunes name, but I really am grateful that you wrote wrote that to us. And and to you, listener, if you like this show, if you like what we're doing here at the Fizzle Show, please leave us an honest rating at iTunes. It doesn't cost you much, and it means the world to us because it helps other hopeful entrepreneurs to find this show. So simply open up iTunes, search the store for Fizzle. You'll see us, and click write a review. Listen, Corbett said it best. 
Here, I'll play it for you again. Like, stop trying to be everything to all people and just get really geeky about the thing that you feel strongly about. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next Fizzle Friday. <laughs>